Would you turn in your Bible tonight to 1 John, 1 John chapter 1. The little epistle of 1 John near the end of the New Testament, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We've had an exciting time tonight in the singing, the music, all, all of it's just been such an encouragement and blessing. This is a good way to close the Lord's day and start a new week, isn't it? Be in the house of the Lord. If you're glad you're here tonight, say amen. amen. It's just a blessing to be here. And those testimonies were a thrill, weren't they a blessing? Thank you so much. Let's bow together in prayer as we begin to study the Word of God tonight. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for what we've already experienced this evening. We pray now that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, whet our spiritual appetite for Jesus. And may what Rita just sang to us become a reality in all of our hearts. My Jesus, I love Thee. If ever I love Thee, my Jesus, it's now. But oh, for grace to love Thee more. We know that there is no end to the love of God. It is so immeasurable. But our love is so finite and so fickle, and it's so up and down. Lord, help us to love Thee with all of our soul. And may that love be manifest through us into the lives of others. Have Thy way tonight. Touch hearts. Encourage the ones who may be a little bit discouraged. And may the Holy Spirit lighten loads and brighten roads. And may someone who has not been saved come to Jesus. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. First John chapter 1. There are 10 verses. And I want to read these 10 verses tonight. You follow along, please, in the word there. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of Him and declare unto you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, keeps on cleansing us from every sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. In this first message from 1 John chapter 1, we see a personal experience, the purpose of the epistle, and a powerful exposition of God's message to us. Remember that John was the last living man who knew Jesus in the days of his flesh. He was an old man. Bartholomew was gone. James was gone. Thomas was gone. Peter was gone. All of them were gone. John was the only one living. The date, approximately 
95 to 97 AD. This is the one man that the Lord let live out to the end of the first century of the Christian faith just to be a testimony and a witness. And before John died, the gospel of Jesus Christ had been preached across the then known world. Now John was the only one of the apostles who did not die a martyr's death. Tradition says he's the only one that died a natural death. He was an old man. There was a man named Polycarp who was one of his disciples. And Polycarp later was martyred for his faith. And in his closing testimony, a man in his late 80s, he recalled how John, an old man, had stood firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last night I visited in the Greenview Hospital. I visited one of the great Christians that live in our city, lives in our city. His name is J. Palmer Brown. Some of you know Mr. Brown. He worked with the railroad for many, many years. He's 96 years of age. He's a member of First Baptist Church, has been a deacon there for, for years and years and years. Ever since I've been in this city, he's been a very dear friend of mine. J. Palmer Brown told me some of his testimony last night of how God changed him in 1918. And the Lord just moved into his heart. And he said, God took all that old filthy speech out of my mouth and God just cleansed my life and I've tried to serve him all these years. An old man, I thought for a moment I was talking to the Apostle John. I think if you want to go see the Apostle John, go to the hospital and see J. Palmer Brown. He sort of looks like him, I think, like the man would look like. But, J., but John the Apostle was an old man and he was an exciting man. And he was not a, a discouraged old fellow, and he certainly wasn't somebody who uh, says, well, I used to serve the Lord in the days of my youth, but I've graduated from that, and now I don't have to serve the Lord anymore. John just kept right on going all the way through. And friend, it is not so much how you begin the Christian race, it's how you end it. That's the important thing. How are you going to end the Christian race? I think it was Mueller or somebody who used to pray, Lord, keep me from being a mean old man. And we need to pray, Lord, help me to continue. Help me to go on. We've seen some casualties along the way, haven't we? We've seen some people who went up like this and then suddenly something happened. Just like that Korean airplane got shot out of the air, it looked like something shot them down and they went down in defeat and tragedy and our hearts were moved and hurt. And uh, you know, listen, you can't fail God without it hurting somebody else. You think of some of the discouragements you've had in your life. Many of them have come because someone else you believed in, someone you thought was real, someone you thought was going to run the race acceptably, somehow they got shot down by the devil and it hurt you it discouraged you it defeated you for a little while but beloved we must keep our eyes on jesus the arm of flesh will fail you every time we dare not even trust our own but we must keep looking up and john did that long after the lord had gone back to the glory if there was anybody who had something to discourage him john did now john knew judas in the days of his flesh Judas, Judas Iscariot. John knew Judas. He knew him a lot better than any of us have ever heard of him. 
He knew him for three years. He watched him. He looked at him. He saw him carry the treasury. He knew Judas. And he was at that Lord's table when all the disciples were saying, Lord, is it I? And John was one of them who leaned on the Lord's breast saying, Lord, is it I? And Judas was there. And John was out at the Gethsemane when he saw Judas betray his Lord with a kiss. You think that didn't hurt John? You've been hurt by somebody that failed along the way and stumbled down and fell and you thought they were really something and you got all defeated and discouraged. John had every reason to get defeated and discouraged, but he went on. John was at the trial. Out there at the trial, he was the only one of the 12 apostles who went in with Jesus to the trial. Peter followed him. And somehow, the scripture seems to indicate that when they got to the gate, John knew somebody and he let Peter in, go in with him, but he didn't keep with, John, with Peter. And Peter stayed outside and warmed his hands at the devil's fire, and John went on in. And in a little while, Peter was overwhelmed. And he began to curse and swear and deny that he ever knew the Lord. Don't you think that hurt John? Have you been hurt by somebody who denied and, and cursed the Lord? And, and you thought they were really something, they were going to stand for something? And then they went down in defeat. Didn't you, did you get hurt? John had every reason to be hurt. He had every reason to be defeated. He had every, every reason to throw in the towel. He had every reason to quit. But his eyes were fixed on Jesus. My friend, we cannot fix our eyes on any human being. We encourage one another. We discourage one another. But we must constantly be looking up for the example. Jesus is our example. He is our Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. And we must continue looking up. And John looked up at the Lord. And in his old age, after Patmos, after he had preached on, had that revelation on the Isle of Patmos, and the Lord let him go back to the city of Ephesus and there to pen that wonderful book called the Revelation. And from Ephesus, as sort of a pastor emeritus, John wrote all of the other churches and Christians, and he called them my little born-again ones, my little children. That was his theme. All through those five chapters, my little children. He was an aged apostle, an aged Christian, and he was writing to the ones who were coming on. And he says three main things. He says, first of all, I want to tell you that I've had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Now, friend, you can't tell somebody else something you don't know. You can fake it a while, but after a while they'll know that you don't know. I've read in the paper about these men who've performed surgeries and said they were doctors, and after a while they found out they weren't doctors. I, I've read about people who said they were preachers, they were called to preach, and after a while people understood they weren't. I, I've read about people who said they were really something and they weren't. But John said, I want to tell you something. I know the Lord. I saw him. I handled him. These very hands touched him. These eyes looked upon him. These ears heard his words. And that which I have heard and seen and handled, I want to declare unto you. I know the Lord by personal experience. Do you? Do we? Is there anybody here tonight who has faked it? You've said, I'm a church member. I sing these songs and I go witnessing. But do you really know the Lord?
Has Jesus come into your life and changed you? Is Jesus Christ really reigning in your life? Is he living in your life? Do you know him as your personal Savior and Lord? John is saying you can't tell somebody else something that you don't know yourself. But he says, I've had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. I know him. I've met him. And then he says, I'm going to tell you the purpose for which I write. I have a purpose that I'm writing for. And look down in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you for two reasons. Number one, that you may have fellowship. You'd think he'd say with Jesus. That you may have fellowship with Jesus, but that isn't what he says. I'm writing this to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father. Friend, when you get to a point where you don't like God's people, something's wrong. When you get to a point where you don't have fellowship with the people of the Lord, and you say, well, I don't want to go to church, those uppity people or those bigoty people or those people that are, are, are imperfect. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'll tell you, uh, those, I know some of those Christians that go over to that church and, and some of them are hypocrites and so on. Well, I'd rather spend a little while with a few hypocrites here than spend eternity with every one of them in hell. There are maybe some hypocrites in church, but I want to tell you, sometimes it takes one to know one. That's just a piece of folklore, but you, if it shoe fits, wear it. But John is saying, I want to tell you, I write this to you that you may have fellowship with us. I want to tell you about Jesus and what he can do for you. And what he's done for us, he'll do for you. What he's done for you, he can do for others. I'm writing this to you that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father. Check it out. Let's be sure and positive that our fellowship is with the Father. And then he says, I write this unto you that your joy may be full, that you may have joy, joy. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Joy and happiness are two different things. In the word happiness, we hear the word happening. Happening. If everything happens like I want it to happen, I'm happy. If I happen to have enough money to pay my bills, if I happen to have good friends that don't stab me in the back, if I happen to get a good deal in my business life, I'm happy. If my team wins, I'm happy. I've heard people get all out of sorts because their team lost. Now, I want to tell you frankly, I'm for Dallas, and it broke my heart when they lost that game. But that didn't make me all out of sorts. Uh, that's not that important. I, I, somebody said they're amening for, for Dallas. I tell you, that's something, isn't it? Well, anyway, it, but you know, people get all out of sorts, out of all sorts, for all sorts of things. And uh, it's because their happiness gets interrupted. But joy is a different matter. Joy is something that's inside of you. It doesn't have anything to do with outside circumstances. The whole world can blow against you. There can be winds of affliction blowing against you 90 miles an hour. You're not happy about that, but you could still have joy in your heart. R.A. Torrey tells the story of his little boy, very critically ill. 
They sat up with him all night. They prayed. They almost begged God, Lord, don't let my little boy die. And as the morning came, the little boy closed his eyes in death. And they knelt there around his little bed, heart broken, tears. And Mr. Torrey says, suddenly there came overwhelming my heart a new joy, a joy that the world couldn't give. He said, I certainly wasn't happy that my little boy died, but there was a joy. And I reached out and took Mother's hand. I said, Mother, it's all right. Jesus needed him. Jesus needed him. And Mr. Torrey said, my wife had that same joy. And we were able to go and give him to Jesus. How do you take tragedies? How do you take it when the winds of affliction just blow in all over around you and just fall all over you and, and smother you? Now listen, none of us is exempt from that. If the times of tears have not come to you, they're on their way. If the winds of affliction have not blown into your life, they're coming. If the friends that you thought were real friends have not deserted you, that'll happen to you someday. There are going to be some tough times come in your life. What are you going to do? Throw in the towel and quit? I'm unhappy. I'm out of sorts. I'm going to quit. Well, if all your life had was happiness, that's probably what you'll do. But if you ever knew joy, real joy, wonderful joy, if you ever had Jesus reigning in your life and he really lived inside of you and he lives there and he provides the joy, Jesus is the joy of living. And whatever, whatever happens on the outside, Jesus is still there on the inside. We sing, Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land. And the only way that can be true is for us to depend upon the joy that Jesus gives. The joy that Jesus alone gives. In his fullness, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents more than over ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. What's the difference? Joy has to do with a spirit of Jesus that lives inside of us. Happiness has to do with the things of the world that are outside of us, which controls us. John says, I'm writing this unto you that your joy may be full. That you can have fullness of joy. It almost sounds like Jesus. He said something like this. I, I'm saying this unto you that your joy may be full, Jesus said in John. Jesus wants us to be joy-filled. You may have the joy bells ringing in your heart, and he will be there in such reigning power that when the calamities come and the tears come, and don't be afraid of tears, they're coming. Tears are often the telescopes through which we can see far into the presence and will of God. But when all that happens, and the whole world is crumbling in all around us, 
if Jesus is reigning inside, there's joy, wonderful joy, perfect joy. Do you have that joy in your life? Or is there something missing? John says, I'm writing this to you so that you can have joy in your life. Now, the burden of my message tonight, and I'll close here, is simply this, that we be joy-filled. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's tableland. A higher plane than I have found, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to take, take off like a jet plane and just go and go and go for God. There are going to be some troublous times. If you've ever been in a plane, you know that sometimes it goes like that, and it goes like that, and it gets like that, and sometimes it goes like that a little bit. But if everything's in control, that plane's going to go right on through the turbulent times and get you to its destination. So will Jesus. If you're in the, pl pl if you're in the jet plane of Jesus, he brings joy inside of your heart and you go through these turbulent times and testing times and hard times and people you knew and loved des desert you and they stab you in the back and they forsake you and uh, some dear one is taken in death and the financial pressures are hard and everything is defeating and yet Jesus is there and you go through all that turbulence and out beyond the clouds the sun is always shining. Jesus will take care. He's all that he said he would be, my friend. And he's worthy of our trust and our confidence. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for our souls. The blood of who? Jesus. Jesus. Let's say his name. It's the blood of Jesus. And that's what he says in 1 John 1, 7. For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. That's the reason we can sing, He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord over the hurdles. He is Lord over the defeats. He's Lord over the pressures. He's Lord over the turbulence. He's Lord over, the, over all the things the devil could ever push into your life. Jesus is Lord. And his blood is efficacious to be applied to whatever you're going through tonight. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful epistle that reminds us that without Jesus we can do nothing. And it reminds us that Jesus gives the joy that our hearts crave. Lord, I want to ask you tonight to fill our church with joy. To fill God's people with joy. So that when we sing, it'll sound like joy bells ringing. And when we talk to one another, there'll be joy and encouragement. And Lord, when we go out to share that faith with others, it will be the joy of Jesus bubbling from our lives into their lives with a holiness that is real. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing. Let's sing, He is Lord. He has risen from the dead and He is Lord. Let's sing that chorus again. We sang it a while ago, but let's sing it again. And I want to ask you to this tonight. 
There may be someone here who has gone through an especially tough time. Nobody even knows it, just in your heart. And you've been robbed of joy. You don't have that joy. You want it. Maybe you'd like to come and just kneel and pray, Lord, Lord, give me that joy again. Now, the way you get it, remember, is by faith. It's not a feeling. If God did everything he did by feeling, some of us would be in a bad fix. We're emotionally different. Some people have big feelings. Some people shout. Some people uh, just feel like tingles go through their spine. And, uh, and, and so therefore, they, on the basis of that, they rejoice. But I want to tell you, the person that really has joy is the one that doesn't have any of that going on. But just by faith, he says, Jesus is my joy. Jesus is the joy of living. And by faith, I enter into that joy, and I'm going to serve God regardless, whether or not I'm going to be what he wants me to be, because he is Lord. Now, if you've never been saved, you need him as your Savior. If you are saved, enter into his joy, the fullness of his joy. How do you get joy? By yielding to him by inviting him, by asking him, by saying, Lord, I'll do what the Bible says about how to get joy. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Lord, I'll be a soul winner. I, I want to tell you, there is no joy on this earth comparable to seeing somebody saved, being in the presence of the Lord when, when God performs the miracle of salvation in somebody's life. There's just nothing like that. And the anecdote to your defeat is to go try to win somebody to Jesus. It'll bring joy, fullness of joy. As we sing, if there's anybody that ought to come tonight, confessing Christ as your Savior, you come. Moving your church membership, you come. Or just saying, I need more of God's joy in my life, you come. Do what God's Holy Spirit tells you to do while we sing.